0: welcome to Pieces of History, I am Colin McGrath. Each week I'll be delving into some renowned and lesser known events throughout history. This week I'll be looking into the STB, the secret service of the Czech government during the Cold War. In order to look at how and why the STB came into existence, we need to look back at the state of Czechoslovakia after the Second World War. The country after being occupied by the German Reich since 1938, signed a friendship treaty with the Soviet Union in 1943 which bound the region economically and militarily to Moscow. In 1945, under the government of the Kosh National Front, a coalition of parties which headed the re-establishment of the country after the war, key ministerial positions were given to communists loyal to the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia, also called the KSC. An election was held in 1946 which was won by the KSC, giving them 38% of the national vote, and 93 seats in the 300-seat parliament. Over the next number of years, the Communists tightened their grip on power by enacting laws establishing the grounds for treason, which would go on to form the basis for many political and show trials over the late 1940s and early 1950s, passing laws giving border guards security and military powers as part of steps to secure front lines with western states, and the introduction of an intelligence and counterintelligence agency, the STB. It was decided that in order for Czechoslovakia to pursue its own form of communism, it needed to draw on particular models from the Soviets and select the best fit for the country. Picking and choosing what to take from the Soviet system proved to be tricky as the model had different variations depending on whether they looked at the era of experimentation, revolution and civil war in the 1920s, the Stalinist revolution and the Great Terror in the 1930s, or the period during the Second World War. Historians have said that this era in Czech politics can be called a 0 war, since the war had shattered social structures and state institutions. The men who had come to power during this time had actually come from a completely different political world from the communist one-party system which they now inhabited, the First Czechoslovak Republic. This republic had come from the embers of a Habsburg Empire which had dissolved after the end of the First World War. The political elite who now ran Czechoslovakia had been educated and trained in one of the most liberal, democratic and culturally diverse cultures of interwar Europe. It was these men who decided to create an organisation which intimidated political opponents, forced false criminal evidence, used forced confessions, phone tapped, kidnapped and blackmailed rivals. The origins of the STB can be traced to 1945 when the Communist Party began to organise political intelligence networks to spy on non-communist political parties. The key players in the founding of the secret police was made up of four of the most prominent members of the party. Bedrik Porcorni, who had trained as a military intelligence officer. Sepkam Plasek, who had received his PhD in law during the 1st Czechoslovak Republic. Josef Pavel, a veteran of the Spanish Civil War and Second World War. and Miroslav Tuma, a partisan who was trained in an NKVD school in the Soviet Union during the Second World War. These officials' backgrounds in law, security and military service and the participation in the retribution trials and the expulsions of Germans from Czechoslovakia highlight the links between the security and intelligence services of the first Czechoslovak Republic and early communist eras. Bedrich Pokorny was so influential in the creation of the STB that the Czechoslovak model of political intelligence was first known as the Pokorny model. Pokorny had been trained in military intelligence in the first Czechoslovak Republic and was one of the several old experts who joined the communist party in 1945. He ran informers on the Slovak-Hungarian border in the 1930s and instructed that old training materials from the Habsburg Empire were translated from German into Czech for recruits. Stefan Plasek organised a political intelligence network inside the coalition government before the communists gained control in 1946. He was trained as a lawyer in the first Czechoslovak Republic and used this as a foundation for his work in the secret police. Plasek used his background to ensure the communist ideology was cemented in local administrative practices, laws and legal language. He was sent to observe the secret police of other communist countries in order to bring these practices back to his own country. Historian Carl Kaplan, interviewing Plasic in 1989, noted, quote, I often wondered how he, an educated person who was well versed in rights and laws, could have committed such acts which were not only against the law but against humanity. End quote. What these acts are, we'll touch on later. It was noted that Plasek's motivations were possibly driven by the fact that during the war he had to hide in Prague due to being Jewish. His father had died in a concentration camp and his interrogations of former members of the Gestapo in 1945. Joseph Pavel studied at a Communist Party school in the Soviet Union in 1935. He was trained to become a political commissar in the Spanish Civil War, the most important conflict of the political left in the 1930s, and had served for the British in the Second World War. He was deeply entrenched in communist ideology and this military background prepared him for the tasks that he carried out after the war, recruiting members of the National Front Security Forces, otherwise known as the SNB, and organising workers' militias in Czechoslovakia. The last member of our quartet is Miroslav Pechtuma. Pechtuma trained in the Soviet Union during the Second World War after leaving Czechoslovakia soon after the invasion by the Nazis. After completing an NKVD training course, he parachuted back into Czechoslovakia in 1944 to help with the liberation of the country. After the end of the war, he helped build a partisan movement that became a major element in the recruitment for the secret police. The partisan groups in Czechoslovakia were formed after the war in the chaotic months of liberation to expel German civilians from the country. Because of Pich Tuma's reputation as a partisan, He was elected to serve as a communist representative in the national parliament between October 1945 and March 1946. These four men were the backbone of the STB and their various different backgrounds ensured that the organisation had a skill set from the very beginning in officer recruitment, military intelligence, political and legal expertise. All four, aside from Pitts, Tuma and Pavel had higher education, professional qualifications and middle class backgrounds. These officials were the driving force in the formation and organisation of the STB which overseen the intimidation, violence, bugging and oppression of the political parties within the early years of Czechoslovakia. In 1948, the STB consisted of 14 men in a special police unit who spied on citizens. The total amount of cameras at their disposal? 1. According to Carl Cerny, a lawyer who was brought into the security services at the time, quote, the construction of a modern state security service demands a few things. The collection of information and a decentralisation of the agenda. End quote. This police unit was just the beginning. The first target of surveillance was the government themselves. Corruption was rife in lower level departments and leaders from Prague had no idea who were running these offices. To look at this issue they decided to create a quote instructor group to address this issue. The unit, created by Plasek, with his background in observing secret police forces in other countries, served as a training ground for new generations of working class officials that pushed forward to Stalinist ideology in Czechoslovakia. It was in this unit that the US Communists versus Them non communists first took hold. These agents suspected everyone, including their own political allies. Anton Perschal, one of the first instructors in the STB, who would go on to become Deputy Minister of the Interior in 1951, was instrumental in the running of covert operations internally of secret police officials accused of crimes against the state. His file describes his talent for conducting operative work and surveillance operations. After being interviewed in 1989 about his career in the service, Karl Kaplan said, In the years between 1950 and 1955, he was a great authority in security. His connections with the Soviet advisors were well known as was his influence in the ministry. In security, he was a stuff of legends. His power and political influence exaggerated these fantastic tales. And it lived on, passed on from security generation to generation, lasting years after his fall from power. For security employees, he embodied the celebrated and great time of absolute power and its establishment." The instructor group played a pivotal role in the foundations of the STB. It led the personnel, training and placing methods that the organisation would use in operations. The group worked within the STB as it was granted the power to read documents and reports produced by district and regional secret police officers. As advisors they instructed other officers how to run informers, surveil suspects and recruit double agents of enemy countries. They spoke with STB officers to test their knowledge on texts, observed their work and noted details about officials' personal lives personalities and relationships with colleagues. The instructor group contained many younger men in their ranks and they noted that older members of the STB, who had come from a different era in the history of the country, were deemed not reliable enough. In a report from 1948, it was noted that, It is desirable that the service be filled with younger blood and new people, the majority from the working class. The new members of the instructor group were young, politically staunch in their communist viewpoints, and untainted by the old regime. Details of the trials of communists who were deemed enemies of the state in Hungary and the Soviet Union were introduced to fresh recruits of the STB. They were told to watch out for intellectuals and high-ranking party members as they could not be trusted. The teaching programme was meant to, quote, train new members of the secret police not burdened with the bourgeoisie police practices, end quote. They were arranged into groups such as companies, platoons and squadrons a new breed of officer was made without the tint of the old ways. In 1949 the Soviets arrived in Czechoslovakia. At the start of the 1950s, these advisers plunged the country into a panic as they began purges that included show trials, campaigns of violence against anti-state elements and interrogations. This heightened panic spread throughout not only the STB and the government but people paid to work on the trials themselves. A stenographer had a nervous breakdown and moved to a different sector after taking notes, the atmosphere of distrust and unease led to some officials to commit suicide. The atmosphere of distrust and unease led to some officials to commit suicide. Police officials were transferred to other departments or released from service as they were thought to be criticizing the methods of the Soviet-driven purges. The personnel of the STB changed completely in a matter of years. The new recruits were brought in from working class backgrounds and any members who resembled the old guard were removed. The original members at the beginning of the STB were not immune to the purges. Pitch Tuma was charged with murder. His sentence was alleviated by his working class background. But was interrogated over a year about his background, associates and relations with other members of the security forces. The second generation of the STB were happy to remove the first. This second incarnation of the STB, the Stalinist secret police, was a result of internal violence in which new members supported the Soviet advisors to detain, banish and torture the communists who built the institutions after the Second World War. Within two years, 1948-1950, the STB had gone through radical changes and the country had seen not one but two secret police forces. The second generation of the STB, now with its committed younger generation, began a campaign of attempted assassinations, murder, kidnappings and detentions. The Communist Party, now with supreme power within Czechoslovakia, drove forward a period of violations of human rights and freedoms as well as civic rights. The show trials during the start of the 1950s were used to remove political opponents of the current government. The secret police used torture and physical violence to extract confessions and information from a range of people, from citizens, other communists, political rivals and anyone they suspected of being disloyal to the state. Archives dating back between 1948 and 1952 list almost 27,000 people convicted for anti state crimes. End quote. So, what happened to the people who were convicted of crimes? Personal property was taken, civic and political rights were removed, sentences to prison could range from 15 to 25 years, or in some cases, life imprisonment. The STBs during the 1950s to the 1970s didn't restrict themselves to Czechoslovakia. There were operations in Strasbourg and Munich, an explosion at a military base in West Germany, or as it was called then, the Federal Republic of Germany, a Western Bloc country and an enemy of the Soviets. In Austria, a Hungarian intelligence officer was assassinated by a Czech intelligence agent by the name of Alfred Petrovich. Unfortunately, this case cannot be proven as reports in this case are still unavailable to few. Researchers who have looked into the early decades of the STB have been able to account for 20 abductions until 1962, that is the ones they can find. At this point it seems that Czechoslovakia citizens abroad were at risk as well as those in the country. The STB began to spread their net even further and made links with the Stasi, the East German secret police. In one particular case, a former East German state security officer by the name of Walter Terin and his partner Ursula Schoen were kidnapped and brought back to the country after fleeing to West Germany. They were then taken from Austria, brought to Czechoslovakia and then deported to East Germany. It has been reported that the Stasi planned and ran the abduction. The organisation had now modernised and took on something similar to what many people would recognise as a legitimate secret service. Spies working for the STB now used many concealed cameras. They could be in tobacco pouches, purses, briefcases, transistor radios or lighters. They mounted Sony television cameras in parked cars and in baby carriages wheeled around by operatives posing as married couples. All was carefully archived, including reports that read like postmodern fiction. One of the reports found in the archives gives a snapshot of one observation on a member of the public. Quote, was bareheaded, dressed in a white striped outfit and white shoes. She was carrying a white plastic bag and a brown purse. End quote. The STB had now come a long way from 14 men with one camera between them. The political trials continued and involved thousands of people who were deprived of their personal freedoms based on their political, religion or membership of various groups. Torture and physical violence were used to extract confessions and individuals would confess to serious crimes such as high treason, espionage, subversion, which they hadn't committed. While waiting for trial, prisoners served their time in inhumane conditions and were set work details which have been described as slave labour. As Miroslav Lenki, first deputy director at the Institute for the Study of Totalitarian Regimes, noted, Many of the convicts lived on the margins of society for the rest of their lives after release, or died soon after the consequences of imprisonment. The conviction of those innocent people was not a miscarriage of justice, it was organised crime directed by the representatives of the communist state and the top officials of the KSC. During the 1960s, the STB turned their attention to Western threats, and in one particular case, they took interest in Martin Wenick, former US vice consul in Czechoslovakia. According to archives, the STB were convinced that Wenick was a spy and so employed individuals to inform him and to watch his movements. He arrived in Prague in 1965 to work as a clerk in the US Department of State. He worked in one of the offices which was responsible for issuing tourist visas to Czechoslovak citizens. His STB files note that he was a CIA agent. According to Wenick, who travelled to Prague years afterwards to view his own file, said, quote, There isn't a single shred of evidence indicating that I was involved in anything that could be considered espionage against Czechoslovakia. Some of the file is downright lies. Some of it was made up by somebody, maybe by the agents or by the people who collaborated with them and provided them with information. End quote. In one instance, Winnick went to a cemetery to visit a grave of somebody who knew. The STB thought that he went there to hide materials for Czechoslovak citizens working for America. Even the Soviets were convinced that he was an agent. In 1981 the STB asked the Soviets where he was working from 1970 to 1974. The response stated that Wenick was working for the CIA. His file also mentions that he cooperated with someone who worked for the STB but sold him some information of a military nature. Winnick denies that he sold any information of the sort. The code name used by the STB for Winnick was plutonium-79 and it turned out that they were keeping even closer tabs on him than he even knew. It turns out that the agency had implanted an informant in the US embassy by the name of Helena Swartova, a Czech member of staff working as a secretary at the building. Swartova was providing information to the STB on the activities of Winnick and possibly other members of staff. How were the STB able to get information working inside such a secret establishment? The embassy employed citizens of the Czechoslovak Socialist Republic who were selected by the Directorate of Services at the Diplomatic Corps, linked to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and State Security. They were able to slip in someone at this level as the Americans didn't have anyone who could speak Czech proficiently enough to handle the daily work of the embassy. As Winnick continued to read his file, he found that even his housekeeper was informing on him to the STB. Even his home was not immune from surveillance. The information that the housekeeper passed on was very trivial as she counted the amount of glasses in the living room after a party. It was assumed that Wenick had an issue with alcohol. The STB tailed Wenick whenever he used his car. He stated, The surveillance teams usually consisted of three or four cars, each of them with three or four secret agents. When I went through the records, I was surprised how many people and money were required to surveil a single person there were 20 people like me working at the embassy, that means that a small army was needed just to watch American diplomats. End quote. The STB during this period not only watched American diplomats but followed individuals such as the famous poet Allen Ginsberg. If you are unaware of who Ginsberg is, he was one of the leading literary figures of the 1950s along with Jack Kerouac and William Burroughs. In February 1965, while spending a month as a juror in a literary competition in Cuba, he was suddenly deported one morning by the Immigration Authority. They decided that he needed to leave the country on the first flight that morning. His destination? Prague. Due to an ongoing blockade, it turned out that he couldn't get a return flight to the US, so he decided to look up some old friends and managed to gain a work visa for two weeks. He spent his time taking in the city and meeting with young Czech poets. While in the city, the STB took an interest in Gainsburg, and confiscated his notebook as they were worried about what he could possibly be writing about the state of the country. An extract from his notebook, confiscated by the STB, stated, "...Czech communism with its bureaucrats above its secret trials. Terror like in Cuba, only better masked. All the capital myths about communism are true. They whisper everywhere. People in Czechoslovakia aren't afraid to speak openly if they know you. They criticise the government openly." After taking part in an annual student festival and being crowned the King of May, Gainsbourg was squarely in the sights of the Secret Services. The event, which brought hundreds of students together in one place, worried the authorities that a Western liberal like Gainsbourg could mobilise the students into anti-government protests. The STB, along with the Interior Ministry, looked to the deportation of the American poet. The dorms in which students lived were to be watched, discussions recorded. Photos taken and students linked to the King of May celebrations identified by the authorities. Gainsburg's hotel room was to be bugged. On the fifth of May, Gainsburg was attacked by an unknown man, with two companions being accused of attacking the man who attacked Gainsburg. It is rumoured that this was a provocation prepared by the security forces in order to remove Gainsburg from the city. It turned out that the man, Yang Holub, was indeed cooperating with the STB since the middle of the nineteen sixties with the codename Horonya. The STB then decided to take action and brought Gainsbourg into questioning about his activities with the students and the details within his notebook. On the 7th of May 1967, two days after the attack by Jan Holub, Gainsbourg was brought to the Passport and Visa Directorate at the Regional Directorate of the Interior Ministry in Prague, where he was told that his stay in the country was over. Later on that day, he boarded a plane to London and only returned to the country 23 years later. 11 days after he was deported from Prague, an 11-page article appeared in Madla Fanta, a daily newspaper, in which material gained from the STB condemned Gainsburg as a pariah who had corrupted the Czech young people. The daily newspaper of the Central Committee of the Communist Party condemned Gainsburg as a person who had abused the trust of his hosts. Researchers looking for his notebook, years later, were told that it was shredded in the 1970s and his original file could not be located as it was attributed with the wrong name. The security forces infiltrated all parts of Czech society and in one circumstance it made one father betray the trust of his son. Miroslav Kvek, a National Security Corps officer from 1957, with his wife, who worked as a guard at Panrak prison from September 1959 and in another prison from September 1963, were members of the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia and worked entirely within the confines of the system. They were dutiful citizens and raised their children within the communist ethos and enrolled them in the pioneer organization of the Socialist Youth Union. Unfortunately for Miroslav, his son, Zedek, didn't follow in his father's footsteps and added his signature to Charter 77, a document that supported the observance of basic democratic principles. At the time, the STB were persecuting signatories of the charter. In January 1982, the Department of the 3rd Section of the 10th Directorate opened the vial on Zendek, Kovic, with the codename Buda. According to his file, Buda, "...shows a lasting interest in emigrating from the CSSR, is not employed, and according to the unconfirmed findings, maintains personal contact with representatives of what is referred to as the Czechoslovak Opposition." End quote. As a dutiful STB officer, it was down to Miroslav to look into what his son was up to. In May 1981, Miroslav assisted in the search of his son's belongings at their home. The search unearthed a valid passport including an exit permit for France and the UK. Zenek was taken back to Prague and forced to give up his passport, and was questioned on other people that he knew who had also signed Charter 77. Zendek was arrested, with his father's knowledge, on 30 April 1981. He was released and applied for a permit to leave the country. In February 1983, he immigrated to Austria but the STB kept his file running noting that he was unemployed in Vienna and kept in touch with his family who finally visited him in 1988. His file did not mention how this affected Miroslav and his career within the services but having a son with left-leaning sympathies probably didn't help his career. The end of the STB arrived in 1989 in the form of the Velvet Revolution. From the 17th of November to the 29th of December 1989, Czechoslovakia went through a non-violent transition of power from communism to capitalism. The revolution began in a wave of protests when 16 students in Bratislava gathered for a peaceful demonstration. The next day, a student march, approved by the authorities, took place in Prague. The Prague march was intended to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the suppression of a student demonstration in German-occupied Prague, students soon began criticising the regime and the police reacted with brutality. These incidents sparked off a nationwide protest movement. Pro-democracy demonstrators and strikes took place which led to the communist leaders to make peace with leaders of the opposition. A transition government was formed with the first non-communist leader installed in the country for 40 years. The country went through a process of change including the privatisation of businesses, a change in foreign policy a new constitution was written and Soviet troops were withdrawn. The STB was dissolved on the 1st of February 1990. The transfer of power from communism to a new democratic system included a new counterintelligence service. Thankfully for the new government, the change was deemed to be entirely successful. One of the advantages that the Czechs had over other countries going through the ending of communist rule is that Soviet troops of the Central Division left the country so quickly. They left in such disorder that it was not a priority for them to leave an intelligence service base in the region. It has been reported that the Soviets who were leaving Czechoslovakia were only able of providing intelligence cover for the withdrawal of Soviet troops and lacked the time, funds, will and capability for anything more extensive. Writing about his time in the Interior Ministry after the end of the STB, Jan Rommel noted that he arrived too late to prevent the destruction of the State Security Service Archives. He did though arrive in time to experience the remnants of the structure of communist repressive system. Writing in Transformation, The Czech Experience, Rummel states, quote, The entire system at the ministry was based on the idea that every citizen was either a real or potential enemy of the socialist state. The ministry had also unlimited power over every citizen. Socialism was protected by the armed forces and an extensive repressive apparatus, characterized by a strict paramilitary hierarchy and strict secrecy surrounding everything concerning the ministry. The interior ministry also owned a concrete fortress in the mountains to serve as government war offices and it used hundreds of other buildings, often ecclesiastic, for secret purposes, surveillance, opening mail, wiretapping, archives. An end had to be put to all of this. The activity stopped and the property returned to its original owners or transferred to the districts." End quote. The end of the STB ensured that individuals no longer lived under fear of persecution for supporting opposition groups. The new Open Czech society was no longer under the microscope of informants, bugging and suspicion. Former employers and associates, meaning informants, were banned from taking certain jobs, such as legislators or police officers. As the archives of the secret place were opened, they produced some alarming details of the regime. Those who were accused of being in opposition to the ruling Communist Party fell victim to political murders arranged by the STB. Four priests, including two priests of what was referred to as the Secret Church, and one layman died at the end of the 1970s and the 1980s, their deaths remain unexplained to this day. The official reports, at the time, regarded them as suicides. Another priest by the name of Prasmerell Kufal, who was secretly ordained and an abbot of the Benedictines was found dead in his apartment in Bratislava on the 25th of February 1981 after being found to be active in the underground movement. The STB had been watching him for months before his death. Torture and physical and psychological violence were used against individuals. Between 1948 and 1989, 257,000 people were convicted by investigations from the secret police. In total, 248 people, including one woman, were executed for political reasons. Unfortunately, amnesties were granted by communist presidents, preventing the punishment of the perpetrators for some crimes. The STB, founded first by a group of men who rose to power in the 1940s on the back of their professional training in law and military intelligence, were overcome by a second generation who were recruited to be suspicious of not only political opponents, but other communists, reflecting the culture of Stalinism planted by the Soviets in Czechoslovakia in the 1950s. These new recruits were trained and selected to exact the wishes of the ruling government. They performed party purges, show trials, mass domestic violence, and enhanced Cold War hysteria within the country. Thankfully, the country was able to rid itself of the STB during the Velvet Revolution and created a break from the past with the embrace of democracy in the 1990s. Thanks for joining me on this journey through the history of the STB. I hope you enjoyed it. I have to say a big thank you to Adam Havlik a research associate from the Institute of the Study of Totalitarian Regimes in Prague. Adam pointed me in the direction of several books and articles on the STB during the 1940s to the Velvet Revolution in 1989. This episode wouldn't have been possible without him. Pieces of History is written and produced by me, Colin McGrath. If you would like to hear more episodes, you can subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and you can also get involved in the show by leaving comments and show suggestions on Twitter and Instagram at Pieces of History. Thanks for listening.